Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Brewing with BIM. I'm Joe Whitney, as always, with me is Dave Campbell. What's going on? Hey, not Dave? much, Joe, not much. Beautiful, beautiful Friday. We're here. Oh, man. Uh, I can't believe we made it, dude. This has been a, a crazy busy week. Um, I know for you especially, you moved into your new house. Um, I'm jealous of your, your indoor pool, by the way. But if anybody wants to go swimming, hit up Dave. <laughs> randomly linked in him if you're in the area and you just need a dip. Yeah, uh, yeah man. So, like, there's just been a lot going on. Uh, you know, this past week has just been crazy. It's summertime, and yet we feel so rushed. So it's just it's good to kick back uh, end of the week and uh, grab a drink and uh, chat with you, man. So appreciate it. Heck, yeah, dude. I, I mean – I'm excited because this it's been a little while, I feel like, since we've done a, you know, kind of solo episode with you and me again, getting back to the yeah. BIM basics. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, being a Friday anyways, it's kind of nice to finish everything up. And I definitely agree, man. It's been kind of crazy how much things have been picking up now as we're getting back into the, into the well, the swing of things and summer's here. So everybody's getting, uh, everybody's getting pretty busy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. It's uh, it's been a nut, nuts one. Um, I love it. Dude. I mean, I love being busy and pulled in a million different directions. But at the same time, it's like I can't think past next week, guys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's yeah. let's take a step back here for a second. Um, that said, man, I, I, I want to get back to the basics. Uh, we had an awesome episode last week where we were talking about AI, predictive analytics, future of construction technology. And it's it's overwhelming. It's a bit much kind of like this past few weeks and it was just a fun conversation but uh you and i man we've got to neanderthal it up and just get back to the basics here um (laughs) so speaking of neanderthaling it up man i am uh, drinking whiskey and coke out of a ninja turtles cup so um what do you got over there bud (laughs) that's legit dude nice um i actually i i had some whiskey but it's kind of hot today it's really humid so i was thinking yeah yeah i was thinking a lighter lighter drink so i found a uh a bottle of Marathon wine from the local um, Running Vines winery out of Chesterton. I thought you were going to say the Marathon gas station. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. No, dude, it's funny because uh, the Running Vines winery, they're, you know, small batch crafted kind of winery, but uh, they name like their top three wines. It's like Sprint, um, Marathon, and I can't remember what the other one is called. Um, but they named them after runs. So I thought that was pretty nice. Nice light red wine. It's a nice sipper for a hot Friday afternoon. Uh, that seems much more palatable than my whiskey and Coke in my <laughs> coffee cup uh, on a hot day. But uh, you know what? We make do. We make do. I actually had like big plans. Um, so shout out to Kevin Lusk for hooking us up with this. But like 
Uh, we've got these whiskey smoke. Yeah, I was yeah. Like, smoke my whiskey, and then I was like, this is just take way too much time. Like, uh, I gotta, I gotta, you know, let's get cranking on this. Maybe, maybe for the next one, I'll smoke some whiskey. But uh, it all started with uh, we were in Vegas, AU, I guess 2019, 20, yeah, 2019, and um, we went to the Gordon Ramsay restaurant. And the drink, so if you guys are ever in Vegas, order it. It's Smoke on the Boulevard, I believe. And uh, they'll smoke yep. whiskey. It's pretty cool. So Kevin Lusk hooked me up, and I believe you as well, David, with one of these little smoking guns, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I've been excited to use it. I haven't I haven't even gotten it out of the box yet. But, you know, what's funny is another thing that I found I really want to try it as well. I just got a, uh, uh, a smoker. I bought a Pit Boss smoker. And um, somebody told me, what you can do is put a container uh, like your drippings, you know, but um, don't, you know, don't use it as a dripping tray, but put a, a tray full of water in there when you smoke. Yeah. And then at and the then, end, put them in ice cubes, right? Yeah, dude. Put them in ice cubes. Yeah, oh, legit. man. Yeah. I'm going to have to try that. I'm definitely going to have to try that out. Yeah, it's it's definitely nice. I don't know if I would do it while I was smoking other things. Although it does kind of seem like a waste of waste of wood, but whatever, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> if I get that Shit. smoker turned on, dude, I feel like I want to put something in there, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. going. Let's do maybe it. I'll, maybe I'll smoke some water first, and then, you know, as the smokes, <laughs> smokers get yeah. up to temp and all that stuff, then we'll throw some, some – that's what you should do. You should put it in there while you're getting it up to temp, man, the first hour or so. I mean, I, I had uh, – <laughs> It's, it's gross, but I was looking at that drippings pan, and I'm like, man, I kind of, you know, I, I actually fill my dripping pan, like, quite a bit of ways up with water to make sure that my, you know, meat stays moist and everything during the smoking process, but. stuff. Yeah, yeah, but I was thinking about it the other day after my last smoke. I'm looking at it, and I'm like, man, I wonder if I could freeze that, too. That'd be gross. <laughs> 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 maybe in your drink it'd be gross right. uh pork butt maybe. infusion <laughs> yeah <laughs> may, may, move back to portland damn it <laughs> it's a new hipster reach uh, no but like uh, i don't know like i could see uh using it as like some kind of in some kind of like soup or stock base or something like that because it's got good smoke flavor it's got fats in it like that might be something to um, think about, but I, I wouldn't actually. put it. In my, I wouldn't put it in my drink, man. Yeah, and I put a lot of weird shit in my drink, but I won't put that in my drink. Hey, I want to tell you what though, dude. I went to this uh, steakhouse with my mom and stepdad the other day, and uh, they had their version of an old fashioned. I think it was a B and B, and it was a bourbon and bacon old fashioned. And what they did was they infused, like they used their house bourbon, and they infused it with maple syrup. And then um, put bacon, bitters, and, like it was like candied bacon, and uh, they did that, bitters, and and uh, gosh, something else in there. I know it was like a simple syrup, but um, – and yeah, the, the bacon was the garnish, and it was it was awesome, actually. I don't really care. I'm, I'm not going to lie to anybody. I do not usually care for uh, maple whiskey. You know, it, I can't sip on it alone. You're all about peanut butter whiskey. Oh, dude, I am all about the peanut butter whiskey. Oh, yeah. But uh, that maple whiskey, when it's mixed with something, oh, man, that, that's good stuff. I'm going to take your word for it. I know. I take that back. I've done maple whiskey before. I just haven't done peanut butter. I just, I don't know, man. I think of like um, like that 
imitation peanut butter flavor. And I just, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know. Watch, I'm going to try it and then I'll be addicted. But uh, <laughs> speaking of getting back to the basics, we're going to have to get back to beer here pretty soon and get off, yes, this, we whiskey, are. Get off this whiskey kick. Um, uh, finally, after like a month of uh, planning this, I'm going to meet up with uh, Rob, the previous winner of our uh, bullet contest. Mm-hmm. to finally deliver his prize uh so that's that's uh good we'll finally get mm-hmm. that over with but i think uh you know it being summer let's uh let's get back to our our traditional fare you know the lighter beers maybe some ipas i've gotten a few recommendations lineys oh my gosh yep uh got a few recommendations uh from people um a lot of uh fans from the maryland dc area are making recommendations which is great uh, yeah well, you know, what's awesome is I, I really want to try, uh, you know, you and I had this idea kind of early on and we've talked about it here and there. But, you know, with people sending us their beer recommendations, I really want to start trying to buy, like find some of that beer and then we can try it like while we're doing an episode. You know what I mean? And let everybody know like what we think about it. I think that'd be pretty cool. Well, this is premature, so I won't give too many details, but you and I are going to be traveling the country pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um I forgot oh, about that. Yeah. Yeah. So each location, man, let's pick up some beer. Um, that's a great idea. I can't, you know, that that's one of the things I loved about traveling when we first started is the fact that I could go around all the different, you know, breweries around different parts of America and try the beer. Uh, it was, it was great. I can't wait to, to start doing that again. But um, yeah, dude, BIM basics, right? BIM basics. <laughs> We can talk about alcohol all day. Um, uh, well, we're we're the master of tangents, man. But oh, but yeah, yeah let's Neanderthal it up. Let's get back to the basics here, man. We're, um, you know, we talked about AI last week, and I feel like you and I we we held our own a little bit in, in the conversation, and it was a very very good conversation. But obviously, man, like those are some great advanced topics and things to look out for in the horizon in the future. I uh, mean, obviously, shit to implement today. Pardon my French. But, you know, stuff to implement today. But for those that are just getting back into BIM, man, let's let's get back to our primal savage selves here. Um, Well, I say this while I'm wolfing down a, you know, again, uh, whiskey and Coke in an integral glass and washing it down (laughs) with, you know, breakfast burritos. It's uh, I don't know. There's just something about uh bim like the beginning stages of bim that is just so daunting for people to get into like where do i start how much you know and and we i don't know we we kind of take for granted what bim it really is mm-hmm. um so many people i feel like are kind of left like thinking oh bim is this 3d model of of the thing and it's like no i mean that's that's a that's a spit out of bim it it you know mm-hmm. the model is it's a tool it's great it's great it's a tool yes but um and, you know, to fully implement BIM and stuff like that, yes, the model contains a lot of data, but I think really that kind of follows more into that digital twin conversation we were having. Yeah. Uh, but so I'm just going to read this real quick. Um, uh, so this is uh, a BIM definition direct from Wikipedia, guys. And uh, BIM is a process supported by various tools, technologies, and contracts involving the generation and management of digital representations of a physical and functional characteristics of places. Uh, BIM information models are computer files, often but not always in proprietary formats containing proprietary data, which can be extracted, exchanged, or networked to to support decision-making regarding a 
build asset. And I'm just going to stop right there because I want to kind of break apart the first part. We're just talking about BIM as a process supported by various tools. BIM is a process. It, it is not tools. You can't just say I've implemented Revit, therefore I'm doing BIM. Um, well, if you're producing generic LOD 100 freaking models, uh, you know, then you're you're not sharing them. Your dimensions are fudged. Like there's a lot that goes on with it. You're not really doing BIM. And it, it mentioned something isn't here about contract types. Uh, contracts uh, are kind of at the crux of BIM implementation, BIM standards, um, as far as an pr overall project, right? We can implement BIM as a firm and uh, say we're a uh, mechanical piping firm. And, and for us, BIM is uh, us uh, providing a 3D model um, complete with our shop drawings, you know, that we're producing our shop drawings off of rather. We're using it for coordination, but it also contains all of our warranty information as well because, you know, lo and behold, we're going to service this building for the next 10 years or whatever as part of our contract. Um, like that's all part of it. And we want that information to be in there and how we're going to use the data from the architects and share that data with our field guys for uh, installation, for uh, commissioning, for um, accessing the data. Like there's a lot that goes into it. And mm -hmm. um, that that is kind of a smaller piece, right? I won't say smaller. It's a huge piece of BIM, but really at its core, like that's company-wide BIM. Project-wide BIM, though, it, it is contract-driven because we need to know uh, BIM. We need to know the BIM standards. We got to know what LOD uh, for what objects. We got to know what information is required. We got to know who's doing what, who's using what information, and all of that's kind of spelled out in the contracts ahead of time. I agree. I agree. A lot of it is. Um, built on the contracts, and, and I mean, the contracts can set you up for success or for failure, not knowing what you're doing. I mean, that's that's a hard, um, hard, hard, hard thing to really get into to you know find the perfection of that. It really takes a lot of um, I want to say some try some trial and error, you know, learning obviously to really figure it out in in terms of you know, what your company's level is going to be and then the project level, right? Because as you said, those are two different, very different perspectives to look at. Um, as a company, you could be doing, you know, this amazing stuff where, you know, you're automating, you're using Dynamo, you're sending it out for prefab, what have you. But if the project doesn't call for that, then you're not going to use everything that you have, right? It, you got to figure out what's been most beneficial for the project and the project partners. Now, one thing that I did want to touch on there, Joe, is, you know, everybody's going to probably laugh at this, but another buzzword that we're hearing lately, you know, is that that common data environment. Right. And now CDE. a lot of people, will, the old CDE. Yeah. And a lot of people will think about the cloud or they'll think about SharePoint, you know, a lot of places to store documents where everybody can get into it. Well, in all honesty, I think that BIM is a form of, you know, CDE. Um, it, it, it really is. And at, at its base, at, it, at its base, it is a, you know, process. But I like to think of it as a toolbox, right? I, I like to think of it as a toolbox that has a lot of different tools or processes that we can use within it to do our different jobs, right? And again, well, for that project specific. Well, let, let me interrupt you real quick, because in that, that definition, it said, um, just adding to your fact here, it said BIM, um, you know, involves network and shareable um, and exchangeable data. So in a sense, a CDE has to kind of play in this one because we, we need uh, access to the data a repository. We're sharing, viewing and aggregating all the data. But two, you got to be able to have access to all the information in the data, whether you have access mm -hmm. to the design applications or whatever. Right. I mean, there's you know, let's just 
you know, throw it out there. There's probably 30 different design applications that somebody's going to use on a project. Um, not all of them talk to each other very nicely. So, um, you know, w- what does that look like? Is that an IFC? Is that a Revit file? Is that mm-hmm. uh, Teclo? I mean, what is it and how do they all talk to each other? Uh, in a CDE, um, specifically probably ones you and I are most familiar with, allow us to bring that data together and leverage that. And sorry, man, I only want to interrupt you because I wanted to say that, look, the, you know, it's supported in the definition. Uh, so I might be laughing at you, but I'm, I'm also agreeing with you. Yeah, no, dude. I, I mean, <laughs> when you look at it, we as humans, um, we really look for, I don't want to say the easiest solution because that's not really the best way to put it. But we usually look for that one source. We, we, I mean, you look at, you look at no matter what we do, whether it's, it's insurance, you're trying to bundle it all together. So you only have to go to one place to pay, place to pay for it. If you're looking at, you know, getting loans or you're looking at, you know, your data in terms of, of construction, typically we want to go to one area for that. Right. And BIM is really where that that and I, I of course have to throw out aggregation of that data that's really where you know we can give everyone access that visualization into the project and its details um even bim in its most simple form right and it doesn't have to be you know this huge detailed out 3d model it's really what again the project and the owner or the stakeholders in that project really need to get at the end of the day that's going to make that project successful and it's knowing what to use when it's going to be a bit of overkill you know joey and i keep going we we talk about the um construction um you know generation or the the generative construction rather generative construction and and things like that buzzword for us from the the last episode man generative construction thanks to uh, renee by the way that was that was yeah we're gonna coin that term it was, dude. It was great. But I mean, you even look at that, right? And w- I kept thinking the whole time we're talking about all this, you know, and a lot of people are wondering, yeah, but how does this, how does this tie to BIM? Well, the biggest letter of BIM, the biggest piece of BIM that stands out for me is that I, right? It's all about the information that's available, the information that's in that model, the information that we can pull or push into that model or again pull from that model right that that's really helping yeah. all of the project stakeholders so in this sense it's not even just about you know getting back to what you said there joe it's not about what type of program you use it's about the connectivity of your program to be able to aggregate that data into one common data environment or one bim environment right and in that well, case getting everyone to oh. find a way for somebody to use it later that doesn't have a design application because they're not in design like mm-hmm. ultimately that's like hey guys i'm a i'm a wall contractor i don't act I, you know i just do the installations this is all drawn by the architect i just need to know where the wall goes and how to look at the data so somebody send me that data and how i can get to it and and that's it that's all i need i don't need i don't want to buy a seat of this or you know and have a guy trained in this just to get the data I just need to know what I need to know to do my job. And and it all starts from this one file. So how do I read, interpret all that aggregated data so I can do my job without having to, you know, be proficient like a designer? Yep, exactly. And and I mean, again, breaking it down to its most basic form. I mean, I think that's where BIM kind of shines is being able 
to give everyone that visualization into the project, right? And again, even in its most simplest form, just giving walls will will help a concrete contractor figure out where they want to lay their supports or what, what, how they're going to pour, where they're going to put their forms. There's just so much that's involved with it, right? But again, the information has to be there. And exactly. And that's, that, that's why... Um, um, what's his name? Yeah, I say what's his name? Johan Tuckler, the one and only. Yeah, dude, BIM is Johann more than Tuckler. models. Hashtag BIM is more than models. Uh, I'll be sure to add that as a hashtag in this episode. Uh, BIM is more than models, man. Sorry, go ahead, dude. I keep interrupting no. you. I, no. you. It's like you say something, it sparks an idea, and I, you know, I just want to chime in, and <laughs> before I lose it, uh, anyways, I get man, that, dude. Like, no, that's why I love this podcast. That's why. That's why I love you know, having these conversations with you because they're very interactive, you know, and we're both very passionate about this. And, you know, it's easy because I feel that way too, man. I, I I try not to interrupt you on so many episodes where I'm sitting here just chomping at the bit pretty much like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> but yeah, man. I mean, you know, at, at the end of the day, like I said, it, it's all about the visualization of that data or visualization of the data in the project, right? And, and and figuring out how we can utilize the data. And it, it's it's not getting overwhelmed. That's the big thing. Sometimes you're going to have more data than you know what to do with. That is not a bad thing. It's not. It, now, it's something that needs to be navigated, though. Exactly. Yeah. It does need to be navigated. It needs to be controlled. Like what I think when I when I when I think about too much data. Obviously, yes, you can get overwhelmed. There's a lot of things to sift through. Figure out. I mean, I can say this, I guess, because I'm, I'm sitting in this this uh, kind of seat, not the designer seat anymore. But um, my mind is, you know, let's let's take a look at that data, and you know, even if it doesn't, if it's not beneficial completely to use right now for this project start analyzing it start looking at how you can use this for future projects or other projects how you how you can do something like this down the road how can you use that extra data and and start adding to what you offer right that's that's one of the biggest things also that i can think about for anybody you know just getting into this bim environment it's not about i mean yes obviously it's about the quality of your models that's a huge thing but it's also about understanding the data that you have and then again, offering services that maybe someone else doesn't is not able able to yet. You know, that's that's that is what gives you the step above is is really looking at that data and being being able to take that step back and saying, all right, how can we use this? What can we do with it? Yeah, it's a little more detailed than we need with this. But is there a way that we can utilize this in any way to help push us forward? So I've got uh, a number of uh things that come to mind with that like uh well one before i dive into the representation of that piece is um go, getting back to like the tools you know you could dumb this down as as dumb as you want and still talk about bim we could talk about 2d autocad files and still talk, talk about how we're using bim well yeah just the way that we share our data with xprefs and you know we're we're still pushing a layout you know uh plan so we're still doing an aspect of BIM where we're utilizing model data with information behind it. Maybe we've got some dynamic blocks, but still we're only plotting to, to 2D and we're sharing a 2D file format, but yet all the information is still there. All of the um, the layout information is still there. Heck, I, if you give me a 2D plan, I can, you know, even though it's dumb line work, I can still use that 2D plan, convert objects to blocks, and in seconds do my layout, um, have all my points created, 
and just go rock and roll with layout. No freaking exactly. problem, man. Like I, I can get this done. And that's just one piece of it. We can talk about dynamic blocks with parameter information in it, how that feeds into the shop drawings. You could even just talk about it on its basic level. You could even use it on its basic level with just linking, X-refing, right? Just being oh, yeah. able to visualize what's there, linking in the CAD file. Aggregating in, data, man. Ag exactly. Yeah. Aggregating, aggregating data. So, so, and, and then adding to that, uh, to uh, um, kind of add a point to what the last piece that you said, um, is, you know, the data that we add um, and, and providing additional services, you know, figuring all that stuff, like the data might be too much for you then, but thinking about long-term, we have MEP contractors now, and I say MEP specifically because all three disciplines, I see this in, um, looking at ways where they can start doing more prefab and it's all based off of the BIM data. So we get, we, you know, do our, our, our BIM for coordination, right. But rather than uh, kicking out to a different application to our shop drawings. We're staying in that same application to do our shop drawings. And then we're actually using that to push a fabrication process where we're, you know, basing everything off of model geometry, off of fully coordinated documents and not having to recreate in a separate system or export to a separate system to run analysis where we figured out ways to do this in our, our, on our platform. But it's actually spooling uh, the sheets. It's actually kicking out barcoding information. Like we're doing prefabrication now as as a service, or we're at least building out the 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 shop and putting the tools in place so that now we can start doing more prefab and and get from the our three percent uh, prefab to eventually our fifty percent and then our ninety seven percent of prefab. You know, I mean, these are the dreams. And the only way I can think of to get there is to leverage that I, that thing that we keep talking about. And for me, I also like to stay in the same application. I hate duplicating data. It sucks, man. I can't tell you how many folders on OneDrive that I have that are the same file, um, but I just don't know which one's like which one has what <laughs> variation in it. So I just keep creating new folders. So there's like gigabytes of data of like duplicate. <laughs> it's stupid. But if I stay in one application, it's looking at one file. Um, I can better manage that. It's like I like I like to think of it in terms of like uh, working off of one share drive location, uh, one one drive location, and saving back to that drive every time, as opposed to creating you know spinning up an application every time and recreating the file and then saving it as a new new thing. Mm -hmm. And and this way it just makes it easier. We're working off of one data set. We know we're in one application. It makes life a lot easier instead of final version dot 2.2.2, you know, and then add a date on there. But hey, you know, five o'clock tonight, I get uh, an, a fire drill urgent request. Now I'm working to 6.30 trying to bang something out. And now it's still named, you know, final version 2.2.2.2 and still has the same data. It's like, well, shit, which one was actually the right one? You know, like a timestamp. Oh man, it's a pain in the ass. Oh yeah, dude. Oh yeah. And I want to say, I've, I've been seeing the same in the, uh, the structural fabrication area, it, like um, with, with connectivity and of course going back to the Autodesk because it, it is what we know, but um, the advanced steel and into Revit connectivity. Uh, I've seen a lot of, of uh, benefits from utilizing that in terms of creating your assemblies. I mean, you can spool out, you can create bombs, everything like that, and then link it right into Revit. And you know what? Most of the time it actually transfers those advanced steel, those CAD families into Revit parametric, you know, families in that sense. But even even just linking that information in 
gives us that benefit of knowing where things line up, how things are lined up. And, and again, the structural engineer or the designer can use the program that they're comfortable in. And it kind of goes back to that aggregation, right? And that common data environment conversation of, you know, being able to pull this data. And, and if you're not utilizing, you know, the exact same program as someone else, just harping on that connectivity, that interoperability, that you're able to connect those workflows together and still share that data in between the other project partners that are involved. And it's just, it's a very beneficial process. It, it is. Um, now, breaking back to like the, the basics of, of BIM, right? A lot of people, like you said, Joey, always think of these big 3D models. And um, a lot of people kind of get lost in that transition of, you know, CAD to CAD to BIM. But he, and I, I kind of almost want to get rid of that because at the same time, CAD, as long as it, it's, it's being used for building construction or building modeling, then technically it's part of the building information modeling process, right? So um, that in itself, it's just, just figuring out what tool, like we said earlier, what tool to use uh, for the project and, and for the stakeholders that, are, that is going to be beneficial, not only for your company, but again, for the project itself. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. It's, uh, uh it, oh. it's interesting to see. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, man. No, no, no. Go ahead. You're good. I was going to say, it's interesting to see the level of the, of adoption that we're starting to see. Um, just one spun up out of COVID and two, like, yeah, you and I, man, we've been talking BIM for how long, you know, five years, you know, we're, we're not the OGs by any stretch of the imagination, but looking back at like, conversations we were having five years ago with firms and now seeing them uh, um, kind of adopting more tools and not even maybe not even more, more tools maybe they own the same tools but now they're just having more conversations on how they can better use that data like there's a tremendous outpouring of like oh we actually need need to get this how would we get this information well actually you actually need to do that here and this is how you achieve that oh, okay well that's great and it's it's just building a, a foundation of of uh, I'll say BIM, but you know your BIM building blocks, whatever you want to call them. Um, it, it's empowering the industry, I think, because I think you know 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when we take a look back and we start seeing at the problems that we initially set out to solve with BIM, uh, right? We've got um, uh, uh, you know we've said this on the last podcast, I believe, you know another like 2.7 billion people added to the world population. Um, in the next like 20 or 30 years, we've got ailing infrastructure and and all this sort of stuff, all these pieces in place. Um, we have to account for all that. And the only way to get there is by one, relying on more technology, which is not something everybody wants to hear, but relying on technology to, to help analyze how we like the generative construction component, how we can build faster and stronger um, and we need data to do that. We actually need the data. We need that eye. We need that information to make that actually happen. Um, but the other component of this uh, obviously is is uh, manpower. So how are we going to get more people interested? And honestly, I think BIM is a sexy thing. BIM gets people interested. You tell a firm or, or you're a firm and you're telling uh, a new hire that you do BIM and you get them excited about the technology as opposed to your competitor who's out there who's, you know, still, uh, you know, just getting PDFs from the, the 
you know, architect and, and, you know, they're redlining drawings by hand. Uh, there's no digitization of the process in general. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I think there's something to be said about that. They might get more fundamentals out of that in the sh short term, but in the long term, I think that they really need to get a, get into that technology and, and understand um, how they can actually leverage that data further, push that information. I, I don't know, man, it goes all back to that basics. Um, one, obviously, you got to have a foundation of construction, how things are constructible. But two, um, start thinking about how you can use that data. Like, what's that next step? Dave, what's the next step for you, man? Like, what do you think is a big BIM step for you, like the next iteration that you would like to see imposed? Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess there's there's so many, in all honesty. I'd, I'd like to see some more standardization. Um, that, that would be kind of nice of the the... Uh, I mean, I, I know with the IFC, you know, we've set some standards there. We're seeing the IFC v v4, so the smart IFC now. But um, I'd like to see a little bit more standardization in the BIM realm. And then it's really looking forward to, you know, pushing the limits for BIM and construction. Um, and, and then even then, BIM for handover. I mean, that's even bigger. Um, in, in my mind, like BIM for construction obviously has been used for a while. We're starting to see more and more of it <clears throat> in terms of aggregating models together and being able to perform instantaneous clash detection on these different models. It's coordinating, you know, just making sure not even in just the design phase, but the constructability of it all um, and being able to connect everyone into that process of visualization and communication. Um, I, I think, of course, that's going to be beneficial for any construction project, but it's really, I think, the BIM for handover that we, we need to concentrate on because these owners, you know, they, they'll get this BIM data. And yeah, you have some who are going to be kind of BIM forward and, and they're starting to test out what FMs can work with, you know, what BIM data and how we can get that warranty information over, how we can visualize it for maintenance, you know, the AR, MR, VR kind of things. But um, I really do think we need some improvement in that area. And I think that's that's where the next part of it is going to be. You know, if we can really take all of that information that's hosted in the BIM model and 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 export it into a sensor or just translate it, let's say translate it into something that's you know readable by most FM uh, softwares out there for visualization, you know, the AR, VR integration. Um, and then, of course, MR with, uh, you know, being able to maintain facilities or what have you. Uh, but then again, man, it, this is me kind of geeking out again. It's automation. You know, we talked to Renee last week about how to automate some of this information, how to really take a look at what we're doing and how to better our processes. As he said, you know, 3% of a, a construction site is active. Uh, that just blew my mind. You know what I mean? If if we can't utilize the data and, and help us to adjust because, I, you know. I think that that's three, that 3% 3 applies primarily to uh, vertical space because on the horizontal side, man, I'll tell you how many dozers, uh, oh, yeah. watering machines, uh, mm -hmm. everything that's on site at all times. Well, that's going on one side. I'm, you know, Ish. I used to be pounding freaking, uh, uh, you know, grade stakes on the other side. Obviously, we're beyond grade stakes these days yeah. on most projects. But but you know that's that's just the that's just the way it was and and now yeah. things are are changing. Well, um, but the vertical space, to... I mean, you built the you built the short the shell, and now what happens? We <clears throat> we focus on the wiring. Okay, well the 
wiring, you know, comes in and, you know, I say this, um, actually I'm saying this backwards wiring is usually the last one, but, uh, anyways, you, you get a discipline in there and it's their, their turn to go around. But, um, really we've got to segment this out to zones and say, um, all right, well, let's have 10 guys wire, you know, do all of our parts at one point in time. And, you know, kind of getting back to that piece where you're saying where you've got to do this resource allocation and load the model to figure out what's best fitting and best use of uh, existing resources to make the most out of this and give us the best uh, possibilities and outcomes. Yeah, I completely agree. And I will I will agree to disagree on the horizontal construction just because. I've, I, you know, my stepdad's in the local union. I've done some time operating, but it, what I saw is that you also have your different, you know, you typically you'll have your operators union or your non-union operators, what have you. Um, they have to work together in, in a process in the same way that the building has to come together, right? You're rolling while well, you're dozing it, you're scraping it, you're rolling it, you're grading it, you know, and the interesting thing that I find out there is that it's actually pretty common for people to um, actually, you know, wait, you know, like journeyman operators waiting on others to finish their portion and they're being paid to sit on the job site and wait until that person is done and then they can go ahead and, and you know, do what they need to do. Or my favorite is when my uh, my stepdad, <laughs> he tells me about this quite often. But uh, he'll go through, he'll work eight to 10 hours and, you know, he's he's grading, cutting all this curb lines and everything like that out. Everything's great. And then realizes that there was a design change sometime during that day that he didn't get. So now he has to go back out and then regrade all of that because of the design change. And it just it blew my mind that it's still. Like that, I knew about that for building construction, right? But I didn't really oh, think it about it. Happens all the time. Exactly, the, happens all the time. Horizontal GC, yeah. It's I, just I, nuts. I work with a like some of the most BIM forward uh, GCs that I can think of, or at least you know early adopters of it, and then to go back and find out that that. Yeah, for the building side, they're you know they're using a common data environment, but their horizontal side, their survey. Um, with their site contract, you know, they have a subforming site um, subsidiaries and actually even internally on their like as part of their team, not just uh, a disconnected subsidiary. But even with all of that said, they're still um, they're still not managing the way they share data with those teams. They only manage how they share data on the vertical side. But when it comes to the horizontal side, it's like, oh, well, you know, Steve sent me this file via email and it was dated this. And it was the most recent one I found. <laughs> oh, Steve sent another one. Oh, that was bounced because it was over, you know, it was 20, 21 megabytes. And, I, you know, our our email only allows us to do 20 megabytes. I didn't know it bounced. I didn't know I was missing a file. Like, there's all this crap. And and there's like this design change or it was in a Dropbox, but nobody had access to that Dropbox folder. It's mm -hmm. it's uh, it happens all the time, man. I, I can't tell you uh, how often. Luckily, you know, if it's caught in time, the the issue is minimal. Yes. Um, so a lot of times it is caught in time, but a lot of times it's not caught in time. And then we're talking, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to go back and fix something, uh, to regrade to, you know, it's just a pain in the ass. It is. Uh, and I know, and... I know you got to jump here in a second. Oh yeah. But, uh, I yeah. wanted to touch on something you, you had said earlier that, um, uh, you know, uh, 
the whole automation component that that you know you're really excited for and the fm side that is you know these are things you want to get to i think for us to solve fm which is one of the most exciting pieces right because i look at fm you and i we talk about sim and bim interchangeably and it's getting to the point where we can pre we can plan based off of existing data that we have for infrastructure uh and and the surrounding buildings and all that sort of stuff and how we can play off of it um, to figure out to how to des better design this building for not just the, the the tenant, but also the surrounding around it, you know, the surrounding infrastructure, the surrounding people, how to util utilize the the parking spaces the best. Like, there's a lot that goes into that where we're not just designing in a silo, um, but we're going to be able to get to that. But that piece is still for the owners. A little issue that we have to fix first is that we have to solve the FM, before we solve the FM side is we have to solve the MEP side and get to the place where we're all actually solving the standards, we're all solving the issues and platforms and all that sort of stuff so that we can get to that point where it becomes simpler for the owner to access and leverage data and all that fun stuff. But dude, yeah. it, it's an exciting time, man. I think 10 years from now, you know, we're going to look back and hopefully we'll be on episode 5,000. Uh, we'll look back and be like, holy, or 500, I don't know where we're at now. But uh, <laughs> we'll look back and be like, oh my gosh, like this, this, um, uh, this piece you know, th th this was solved in, you know, 2023. I can't believe we didn't yep. even know it was that easy to solve. But yep. now here well, we are in 2028 and we're solving even more complex problems and things that we didn't even think about that we still need to solve. There's some great stuff there, man. I'm so excited. I am too, dude. And I like to think about it as, uh, you know, that, that Alice episode kind of got my brain going and I could not help but think about something like that for the entire construction industry if we could have something analyzed not just vertical but horizontal construction just in general to to take in something that understands that data and you know i'm gonna kind of be funny here but i actually um i watched the hidden figures have you ever seen that movie i watched hidden figures uh, yeah, I love that movie. yes it's awesome but it talked about the beginning of space and how you know, the IBM computers, they were starting to bring them in to help compute all of these numbers, all the different the the different ways of landing and the different like the different forces that might act on a spaceship. And in that sense, I was like, man, I wish we had something like that for construction in the sense of every project. When we start putting in these details and we start actively updating like we do, like we can with Alice in the sense of, ah, oh, this change came in or oh, this happened or this design came, change came over. What way can we adapt to really keep on schedule or, you know, let's say blow our schedule out of the water and, and be able to succeed and, and really push the boundaries of what we can do in this project. And it all starts with the information. It's all based on the information. At the end of the day, you know, this huge 3D model is great, but it's it's really no better than the information that is hosted inside of it. And that is the big thing I want to leave everybody with today. <laughs> Thank you. It's all about the information, is more than man. models. Woo. <laughs> all right, man. That's a great thing to wrap it up on. Uh, again, thanks for uh, helping me put this uh, episode together. Um, BIM, BIM basics, you know, we're going to have this conversation throughout. We, we, Dave and I are, we're BIM apes. We want to simplify it. We want to get everybody excited and involved. Uh, and then we also want to have those great conversations like we did last week. We're talking about AI and cool stuff and all that fun stuff. But, uh, you know, BIM is more than models. <laughs>